the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. I am Seth Leapson and delighted to be joined by my dear friend, uh, Hugh Holman, former mayor of Tempe, running partner. We're going to be running a race this weekend. And um, attorney, educator. Uh, we have him in with often his son, Lewis, who may or may not be joining us, depending on a meeting uh, he uh, had. Um, uh, we have him every uh, third hour on Tuesdays, and we're delighted to do so. We've been at this about a year, haven't we? A uh, year and a month, actually. And it feels it doesn't feel like that to it me. Sure doesn't. It, the The life feels like it's gone on for a long time, not because of the show, but because of the COVID nonsense that we've all been dealing with. It's been really trying for lots of people. It's emotionally uh, trying and and uh, provides all kinds of challenges. And that's why we sat here. That's why we've been here every uh, every Tuesday at. Uh, let at, me let me uh, let me four. start that point with you. Um, the ongoing challenges that people are tiring of. Um, we thought, we thought the vaccine would turn a corner for the country, if not the world, allowing us to return to forms of normalcy, some form of normalcy. And what's odd is, and they were kind of building up to this, Fauci was saying a couple few weeks ago, even if you're vaccinated, we still don't want you to socially integrate. We still want you to be careful. We still want you to wear masks. You had the former CDC director, Robert Redfield, saying the mask is more important than the vaccine. And just yesterday, the CDC put out new guidelines for those who have been vaccinated, still curbing and stinting their travel. It's 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 an odd thing where you ha- it's the first time I've ever heard of a vaccine that actually doesn't solve the problem that uh, they, they were telling us it was and that had altered all our behavior. It's a very odd thing. And I would think that if you're going to want to dissuade people from taking the vaccine, keep saying things like that. Yes, it is sort of absurd. And in fact, I'll add to that in a moment. But because people are encouraged, to, the government is trying to encourage people to take the vaccine. But at the same time, it's saying, but your life won't change. Your life won't change. And then you've got the uh, uh, on top of that, there are certainly experiences by people who have had COVID-19, then got vaccinated and found at least with the second vaccination that the symptoms they suffered through were worse than the symptoms that they suffered from actually having the disease. So uh, it's not being played out well, and it doesn't make any sense to me to continue to say that we're going to get everybody vaccinated, get back to normal, except not. And I believe you are the source of the best conception about why that is, that we have authoritarian folks who have gotten to exercise their authority, their power, and they like it. And these are people who previously were in the back rooms, nobody paid any attention to, and suddenly they're on the front page and important. And it's a human condition problem that now they want to provide the world with their expertise and demonstrate what they know, and what they know is one lane. And their lane is, if the disease can cause you problems, you must avoid it at all cost. They have no experience in the bigger political universe of understanding that every action has a cost to it. There's risk to everything we do. 
And those of us in a liberal society, and we're going to come to that fight in a minute, in a liberal society get to choose what risks we'll take. And instead of providing information that allows people to make those decisions, the CDC keeps putting out, quote, guidance, unquote, that doesn't provide information to allow somebody to make a decision. They'd make the decision for you. Right. Even if you've become vaccinated, it's only safe to meet with other people who've been vaccinated or meet with people who are vaccinated and only members of your own family who are unvaccinated yet. Don't travel. Well, why on earth are we going through all of this? That's your point. The the insanity of working to vaccinate everyone in this country and then saying that it doesn't change what we can do is absurd. CNN had a headline yesterday. By the way, Lewis Holman has joined us. Welcome back, Lewis. Good to see you. We were coming apart, and thank goodness you're yeah. not here. Um, CNN had a headline yesterday on these new CDC guidelines, and the headline was CDC allows more freedoms for those vaccinated because it did let up on a few things having to do with family meetings and stuff, so forth. Is that headline in and of itself not problematic, CDC allowing freedoms? Is the CDC uh, in the allowing freedom business? Yes. Is, is that the job of the CDC now, circumscribing and expanding our freedoms? Is that what the CDC has become? I, I think you've hit it on the nail, uh, Head, and that is that we've got an environment in which authoritarians are ruling us, telling us what we can and can't do. A, a large proportion of our population are behaving as if that's how life should be, and we've got newspapers now reporting on it as if that's how life should be. The fact that that the newspapers, the CNNs, are reporting these kinds of things as normal is what scares the most out of me. So Let me throw one more thing in the mix, and then I'll get both of you in on however. This is, what, this is from Jonah Goldberg's column this morning, which I think goes to some of what you were saying. In 2009, there was a major swine flu pandemic. Do you remember sitting on the edge of your seat for the latest CDC guidelines or advisories? You might if you had a special health consideration or a job that required it. But for most people, such statements were the equivalent of the white noise Charlie Brown's teachers would make in the old Peanuts cartoons. The COVID-19 pandemic is different. The lives of Americans have been disrupted on a mass scale not seen since World War II. So everyone is paying attention. This must be be a heady experience for many public health officials. If your normal experience involves desperately trying to get the attention of the public and the media, and suddenly you have the opposite problem, people hanging on your every utterance, you approach things differently. We've made a lot of stars out of scientists who wanted to be taken seriously, didn't we? Who would have thought uh, the name Kara Christ would right. be a household right. word, at right. least in the state of or Arizona? Fauci. Uh, exactly. Anthony Fauci. So well, one of the interesting Welcome things... Welcome back, Lewis. Nice you. to see you. Lovely to see you as well. So Those who are tardy long. do not get fruit cup. Darn it. Well, um, (laughs) (laughs) that's from high anxiety. Yes, and we're old men. Okay. (laughs) So uh, Texas, when it opened up recently, was subject to an enormous amount of criticism. And it was generally, you know, very, very uh, uh, sort of central from, from everywhere, really, in that at this point, Texas is doing their citizens an enormous disservice, we are told, because now... All that we have left are CDC guidelines and the advice of every health expert in Texas and all of the local and municipal guidelines and restrictions that it has not that the covid restrictions in Texas no longer carry the force of law. Not that they're still recommended, not that there's not culturally already an enormous push to to still keep following many of the guidelines, even if they're not mandated again. 
still exists. And so it's this weird holistic mindset on behalf of those who would lock us down in that it's not enough to have medical advice being dispensed efficaciously. You need 100% compliance in this deranged and pathological way where, again, everyone, whether, you know, man, woman, and child, must be following all lockdown guidelines. And unless all public and cultural voices are marching in lockstep in this, we are told it is the end of the world. At the point of a gun. And we saw that with Governor Ducey issuing his order pulling back some of the uh, restrictions on operating restaurants and clubs and other uh, health clubs and other things. And you got the the chorus of too soon, too soon, too soon again. Well, those are exactly the same voices who uttered those same phrases the last time the governor reduced the restrictions. And we continued to slide into uh, a very low period of infection. And so their prediction of we're all going to die didn't come true, and it doesn't appear to be coming true now. So in the state of Arizona, just to make sure we do our job here, we still have uh, 15% of our ICU beds occupied, not including the surge beds, but as the state likes to promote it, 15% of the beds occupied by COVID patients uh, in ICUs and 11% in inpatient beds, the general beds. There are 69% of ICU beds and 76% of regular hospital beds occupied by people with other than COVID. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Ring the alarm bell. We're nearly at 90% occupancy of our hospital beds. The world is going to fall and cave in. And yet you don't see the headlines anymore. Are those healthcare workers still supplying services in the very same hospitals at nearly 90% not still exhausted? Why did that only apply during the time period when people had COVID in those beds? That's the kind of silliness that we're seeing in the news reporting about this. And most important today, we have another unusual event. We have negative two deaths reported by the state of Arizona. So we have yet again, we have another Lazarus moment. This is Resurrection Tuesday, and it should be marked on the calendar as another historic, uh, if not... um, uh, religious event. Hold that thought, and we will uh, come right back to both Hugh and Lewis Holman when we return. And uh, we're going to get into some uh, political philosophy, too, it sounds like to me. Perhaps a little bit of a friendly argument here. 602-508-0960, if you'd like to weigh in. We'll be right back. Little Don Williams, the gentle giant for you. Such a soothing voice, isn't that? Doesn't that take you back? I love that stuff. Kind of envision My childhood. Dark, honky-tonk, late at night. Whatever happened to that world? Does it still exist? Can you find parts of America that have that kind of guy just sitting around with a guitar? There used to be a couple of places near Prescott and Skull Valley that had that still. And it's been a decade since there was a last time I was in to the Riata Pass. There were three elderly women playing their instruments uh, doing old cowboy waltzes. It was fantastic. I know. It's a slice of America that I hope someday, Lewis, you get to see so we can get you to like country music. We'll see. Okay, we'll see. Walking the floor over you. Were we? Um, did I cut you guys off on a break on the way to a point? I, I think we were going to argue with you about liberalism. Okay. Before we get there, I do want to hit the last piece on COVID because okay. it leads yeah. in. So we've chatted here before and want to emphasize it yet again. There are now news stories back to this issue of don't go out. It's too soon. Uh, If you get the vaccine, you'll still die. 
And the uh, newest story that I pulled that came out of Oregon, of all places, which had a very low impact by COVID, but lots of lockdowns, the governor shutting everything down regularly, lots of masks. Uh, When I visited early in the pandemic because I had to go up there, the little towns along the coast all had signs out saying, stay away, stay away, we don't want you. Uh, Fascinating for communities that depend on tourism. But yeah, out, uh, a new story coming out of Oregon um, in the, uh, you know, I don't even know where uh, which uh, organization it was, that they are reporting that they have the variant that also had appeared in Britain, but it is not from somebody bringing it from Britain to Oregon. It is homegrown. And the reality remains that as we have imposed uh, human barriers to the spread of the virus, the virus is mutating, and those that are fit, as Lewis likes to point out, the the the, um, the fittest will overcome the barriers. Most those that are best adapted to overcome the barriers are the ones that are going to spread. So it should not be uh, a surprise to anyone that the same sort of activities taking place in Great Britain that are taking place in the United States will lead to the same variants that are successful, as the genetic material continues to try to uh, mutate. Only those that can survive in the environment and overcome the barriers that we put in place are doing so. And it's not it shouldn't be a surprise that that same kind of thing is going to happen in different places on the planet, because this is happening trillions of times a day as everybody carrying the virus with all the different virus loads. Each one is attempting to succeed and carry on its genetic success. And all of that gets you to the same point. And it shouldn't be a surprise that uh, uh, the OSS, uh, OHSU reported that, goodness, quote, we didn't import this from elsewhere in the world. It occurred spontaneously. And that kind of activity is going to continue to occur. So uh, Anthony Fauci says you can't in, engage with anybody, even if you've been vaccinated, because there'll be new variants. And my argument would be the opposite. If we do not get back to socializing as human beings, we're going to create more variants because they're overcoming the human barriers that we're putting in place to try to slow the virus. I I might even sharpen that slightly in that if we don't get back to a normal routine, we create a selective pressure that selects for extreme variants of the disease. Because we have our lockdown policies, because we have all of these distancing measures, the only viruses that can propagate are those that can overcome these these barriers that we put in place. What he said. I'm glad you guys are attuned to this and saying it. I worry about that. I worry about the socialization of it, too. I worry about getting used to it. I saw an interview of a restaurateur earlier today from Texas and uh, she was talking about how grateful she is that they can now open up to capacity and all that sort of thing, but that they aren't changing that much in their own restaurants. And actually, I, just, I worry about getting inured to this new social, uh, what, 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 what shall we call it, uh, social, social protocols. Yeah, uh, the, the social impulse to, to, to so advertise fear. That issue actually extends beyond even the social realm. So what we're starting to see now economically is the kind of ossification and the hardening of these changes that we've built in as a result of the COVID changes. So, for instance, shipping companies around the world now are taking their largest uh, um, freighters effectively and they're beginning to scrap them en masse Mm -hmm. because we don't have near the same volumes of global trade Mm -hmm. and they still have to pay the insurance, the docking fees and all the rest of that. But this is now starting to be the point where these temporary economic hurdles that we face 
harden into long-term systemic changes in the way that our economy can even function. Because once you start to get these kinds of structural changes in, reversing them is going to be much, much harder. Because now, in order for global trade volumes to be back to the level we were, we now have to build a whole new merchant marine in, in many instances to get us back up to those levels. And so... There's an interesting, maybe we reserve this for next week, Lewis, because I know you were thinking about this, but there's also an interesting political economy to the world that has been hit uh, by exactly the kinds of things you're talking about. Freedom House is now documenting a rise in authoritarianism around the world and a lessening of economic freedom around the world as a result. And they were just looking at New York City. (laughs) (laughs) And. No, that, that's exactly right. And if I may tease what, I'm, what I want to sure. talk about next week, the idea here is that the economic growth is our, is our only real bulwark against genocide in that if we have growth, we can have the kinds of positive sum dynamics, the kinds of collaboration that can make everyone better off. The rising tide can lift all boats. But in absence of that, or worse, if we go to a place where we have negative growth, if the economy is actively shrinking, we are then incentivized that in order to maintain our current lifestyles, we must actively go out and take that wealth from others. Speaking of, my audience so attuned to the important things and restoring life to normalcy, listener Don just wrote, there's a restaurant called Marauders in Tempe on the southwest corner of Guadalupe has a music like the Gentle Giant and famous Tempe people like Jesse Valenzuela from the Gin Blossoms and Roger Klein will come in every now and then and Jim Bachman, Mark Zubia, Arizona greats. Um, I go myself as a musician by the name D.L. Marble and I'm not bad too. A radio playlist is like your joiner music Yacht Rock and Jimmy Buffett. Are you familiar with Marauders? Uh, yes, and but uh, Mark uh, Zubia and Jesse Valenzuela were playing just last Tuesday, ah. and they're going to be playing again this Tuesday in Scottsdale, I'm sad to say, as the former mayor, uh, a gig that they're doing in a, in a small place that used to be uh, Jack Song's uh, uh, Jay Chu's. Uh, and uh, they're fabulous. They're wonderful human beings, and I uh, went to school with them, so they're dear friends. That's why I have to know Marauders. My my audience knows things. Lockdowns don't work, John Fury writes. Remember 15 days to slow the spread? Well, since those fateful words were uttered, we have had a year of various efforts to slow down a virus that has an infection fatality rate of less than 1%, and what we have learned is that viruses are going to virus. California, the United Kingdom, Florida, and Sweden show the futility of lockdowns. California and the UK locked down airtight, while Florida and Sweden didn't. Florida and Sweden have performed better if you take in the totality of their experiences than either California than either California or the UK. Can't disagree with that. We'll come back and we're gonna argue a little bit, yeah? Welcome back to the Seth Leibson show. Hugh and Lewis Holman are in studio guests as they are every Tuesday. Wanna to get to your calls and then Hugh wanted to say something about the schools and the governor. And then we'll get into our uh, dispute. Paul and Peoria, you are on with Hugh and Lewis Hallman. Hi, thanks. Uh, hi, fellas. I, uh, two things. Did you ever see the movie Crudes? No, I don't. I don't think I have. Doesn't ring a bell. It's, it's a, a new one. It's, it's an a interesting ca- cartoon. Correct. It's a. It's an interesting cartoon. The dad goes through the whole life trying to protect his family to keep them from not dying, and at the end of the movie, they realize as a family, not dying isn't living. Mm. 
so they kind of go through this transformation. So it's kind of a cool movie, uh, in my opinion. But I've, my main point was I'm finding at work we're having a lot more conversations since the vaccine's been out. Hey, how are we going to get back to normal? What do we need to do to get back to normal? So it, <clears throat> normal meaning, hey, can we go out and go to movie theaters without masks? Or, you know, w- what steps do we need to take? So there's a lot more conversation now. And I, I've noticed this transformation over the past few weeks since the vaccines have been coming out, that people are now going, okay, what do we need? There are still some hangers on, but for the most part, a lot of people are fed up and, you know, they're ready to do things to try to get back to whatever a, a normal is, and, and at least gradually. Quick question for you, Paul. Have you noticed yeah. uh, in your uh, in your work community amongst your colleagues that that attitude is is relatively new and recent uh, as opposed to, say, four months ago? Yes. I would say it's probably three, maybe even three to four weeks, and it seems to be a lot more prevalent. Tied to the vaccine. Tied to the vaccine. Yeah, I think so. So Americans are smarter than the CDC is what that tells me, is that they realize what a vaccine is for, and if it's efficacious, then normalcy is what should come next. I think there is absolutely... Thank you, uh, Paul. COVID fatigue, uh, but add to the COVID fatigue, I believe we started seeing months ago here. Again, thank God we live in Arizona. I know folks listening might have been really angry. Oh, you made a great point about your friends visiting. But yes, folks came down from Seattle and Portland and were stunned asking, you know, have you been able to eat in restaurants for the last three months? And the answer is, well, since June. Yeah stunned, and of course I've had to travel and seeing how other states have handled it, watching California destroy its restaurant industry, watching Oregon destroy its restaurant, travel, uh, hospital, everything is is in terrible shape there. And Paul, thank you for the comment, but I have to tell you that uh, Seth stated it many, many times on this show that not dying is not the same as living. And it's an important lesson from this crisis to keep that in mind that uh, there were people of our parents' and grandparents' generation who uh, ran straight into the machine gun fire to overtake German gun nests uh, and who lived and died uh, with a level of integrity and courage that we have demonstrated seems to have been bred out of our communities. And that's not completely true. It wasn't everybody who did that. Uh, And it may still be the case that the revolutionaries that created this society um, in 1776 were representative of the proportion of population who were willing to do that. And we still have that base here. And the real issue is, are folks ready to go forward and push on uh, through the uh, too soon, too soon barricades that are going up around schools and in other locations, even in the state of Arizona. So the school thing was a, was a, was a, was an indicator lagging in some respects. But you wanted to say something yeah, about well, that. The governor got the too soon, too soon, and no school should not open. And we had two major school districts, Tucson and Phoenix Unified School Districts, the superintendents of those, taking very political positions. Uh, both of them saying, "Well, we were planning to open anyway, and so the governor's order is meaningless." And we were. The right answer would have been, well, if you weren't bristling from the fact that the governor had taken action and you were already going to do this, why are you bristling at all? It's because the governor is an R and you're a D and you're angry that he's now taking an action uh, that will force school districts to open. Well, why did he have to do that? Because, of, as we've talked on this show, local control is essential. 
but currently the union pressures on those local politicians is so great that the only way to break through that was from the governor's level to take an action requiring schools to start reopening to overcome the stasis that we faced. When we come back, Lewis, you can put in a word, and we will get into this dispute or discussion about classical liberalism, liberalism, conservatism, and all the things that matter. We'll be right back. How are you? Sid, don't you know me? I'm your native son. I'm the train they call the city of New Orleans. I'll be gone 500 miles when the day is done. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted to have Hugh and Lewis Hallman uh, with us. And uh, wanted to talk, he wanted to talk a little bit about, and this weigh in on a monologue I did on Friday about liberalism, classical and otherwise. It was inspired by a caller earlier in the week last week who asked if I would give a little bit of a lesson on what liberalism is. We've been doing a lot on what conservatism is, and he said it would be useful to do one on liberalism because he thinks that we conservatives are classical liberals. And I I flinch a little bit from that. But, Hugh, you can unload. Go ahead. Well, I believe the quote from that uh, monologue was, quote, often conservatives will say they are classical liberals. I've always thought that a little odd and not quite right, unquote. Well, I'm one of those conservatives who calls myself a classical liberal. And I'll explain quickly and then let Lewis take off on it. The the reason I use the phrase classical liberal is because that is a term fixed in history that refers to the folks who came out of the Enlightenment and the founding fathers of this country who understood what the word liberal meant. And you described that in the monologue brilliantly. Today's conservatives are not the conservatives of Ronald Reagan or Barry Goldwater. I often, on this show and other places, and my son here makes fun of me for referring to myself as a Goldwater conservative or a Reagan conservative. I do that precisely because the term conservative has not been immutable any more than the term liberal has been immutable. They have changed and morphed over time such that the principles that I'm driven by are not immediately and currently all represented by the, quote, conservatives, unquote, or the Republican Party. I have to use terms to try to help people better understand because principle matters to me. And we've talked on this show that the difference between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, at least historically, has been that the Republican Party is based on principles. You join that party because you believe in a set of principles. And the Democratic Party, certainly in the last hundred years, has been a collection of groups. Mm -hmm. And you join the Democratic Party based on your affiliation with one group or another. Groups and group grievances. That's correct, and and joint grievances. So I I broadly agree with the points you're laying out there, Dad. Um, To me, I I think, Seth, my largest critique is that conservatism is not an explicit philosophy in the way that classical liberalism is. in In my mind conservatism is effectively a heuristic that says, I believe that the solutions to the problems of today can be found in how we solved things in a prior time. And I I think that broadly that there is a lot of wisdom to be found in conservative thinking through that. But again, that doesn't give me a, a specific roadmap on any given issue other than what came before. And I, I think that there's actually kind of a, a theological notion that, that maybe 
bridges this analogy a little bit, and it's that uh, it's the story of Jonah going into the belly of the whale to uh, to rescue your dead father, and that that concept theologically is about us rooting through our own history, trying to make sense of the lessons of our past, rediscovering them and rescuing them from the depths of history, and incorporating them into the present. The reason, though, that 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 is a flawed and all-too-human enterprise, though, is that the lessons of the past are necessarily incomplete because the problems of today are not the problems of the past. And so, if I may be a little crude, I think that if God were writing today, the first commandment would be, thou shalt not enrich uranium, right? There isn't a lot of historical precedent or wisdom in how to deal with a society that has these new apocalyptic tools that we do in the modern age. And I would disagree with you. You've said that before, and the disagreement I would have is that the Ten Commandments actually contain within them the principles that would deal with enriching uranium and what you just said. Thou shalt not kill answers that one. Now, it is... it is Thou shalt not murder. Fair enough, depending on one's translation, right. ancient Greek uh, depending. But yes, um, uh, th- those lessons have to be teased out and applied to these modern problems. But I think that's still... They also possible. have to be reinterpreted because they're written for a pre-modern understanding, Ag- right? Agreed. With all of that said, I'll go one step further. The reason I have trouble with the word conservative is that as it was redefined by Barry Goldwater and the philosophers that you and I grew up with in college and their their earlier versions, that was them taking a word to try to distinguish themselves from what had become liberalism. The word liberal had become something that meant completely the opposite of its original groundings in classical liberalism from the Enlightenment and the founders of this country who understood what the meaning of the word liberal meant. Liberty was its base root. And the current democratic slash liberal crowd are anything but people who understand what liberty means. They are about the use of government power to circumscribe one's liberty, to use it in a way that they can use that power to create a different result than one would get from individuals exercising their liberty. If I can bring this back to an earlier conversation we had, this goes back to sort of the the French Revolution and its original slogan, Liberté, Fraternité, Egalité, which then correspond to the three political philosophies of liberalism, Uh, fascism and communism, roughly speaking. Mm -hmm. Notice, of course, that conservatism is not among these. The the, the reason I have the gravest concern, though, with modern conservatism is it starts to harken back to the original form of conservatism, which was protecting the crown and not about liberty, but protecting what currently existed. If Edmund Burke is your lodestar, your guide star for conservatism, which it was for that a great many people, and Jefferson and Burke had different views, obviously, on the revolution in France. Burke probably had the writer view. But the conservatism I'm talking about, or at least that I'd like to romanticize and think that Goldwater was talking about, or for that matter, Lincoln, or for that matter, Reagan, is an American conservatism that doesn't, doesn't look to the crown, doesn't look to Burke, but looks to Madison. And you and I agree Jefferson. of what those principles are. We just are having trouble creating the word or de- agreeing on the word that describes those principles. See, but I that, couldn't agree more with that. But, but then again, I'm not sure because 
I think conservatism, if liberalism at base <clears throat> is about liberty, conservatism at base is about saving something. And what is it we're trying to save? What is it we're trying to conserve? I actually think it's it's not about that. It's about carrying on the conversation with our ancestors and rolling the ball forward historically. But that is one his generation point. That we're trying time. to preserve the society that our founders built. Let me let me let me do one more thing on this before we uh, say goodbye. We'll do it on the other side. We'll be right back. Well, these uh, these hours move so fast. Um, the Hallmans and I agreed on the break. We may dedicate a whole hour, maybe next week, to this issue alone. We, we're only scratching the surface. We were talking about things over the break. And uh, Hughes said, yeah, now work it into two or three and a half minutes. <laughs> Cannot. I'll just, I'll just say that my view of conservatism and the reason I, 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 I've always felt a little awkward about talking about it in the context of classical liberalism is that I think classical liberalism has its faults um, and has its faults that have been exposed probably more so than by anything else in the post-World War II um, universe, it doesn't have an answer. It doesn't have an answer to the kind of regime we want to live in. It doesn't have an answer to how to protect the United States of America. If it is liberalism at base, a, um, a philosophy of the Enlightenment, then we need something more than just freedom of speech and freedom of conscience. We need to know for what. For what is the purpose of that freedom of speech and freedom of conscience? And that's why I think it was so exposed as having a soft underbelly when William Buckley founded the modern conservative movement, because it didn't have an answer. Liberalism didn't have a classical liberalism, didn't have an answer to communism. It didn't have an answer to the communist threat in America, so to speak, such that if you looked at the free speech cases of the Supreme Court, if you look at the Brandeis and Holmes uh, views of free speech over um, communist speech is what most of those cases were about. The view was we can't censor it. The true test of speech is to have an idea in the marketplace tested as to whether people want it or not. And Holmes said if the end result is that in a democracy people choose a proletarian dictatorship that is the meaning of free speech we have to allow them that and I think that's a danger to not only the republic but humanity that conservatism answers because we are a conservative um, people in the sense that our constitution guarantees a republican form of government and I think if we don't look at the ends liberalism doesn't have an answer for us a lot to jam in can we pick it up next week? I would love that. Let's do it. God bless class.